0: Welcome to the National Capital Bible Church for our uh, midweek Bible study We're in the we're in the book of uh, job as a matter of fact we're starting uh, chapter 41 this evening uh, we have several other items that we would like to uh, accomplish as we are also celebrating today uh, Veterans Day and we have, um, a couple of videos. We'll play one at the beginning, and then one uh, afterwards, and uh, or at the conclusion of the Bible class. But we're glad that you've joined us tonight. We're looking forward to uh, an enjoyable time, not only uh, in the book of Job, but also as we celebrate uh, Veterans Day. Uh, In Psalm 27, we're told that the Lord is my light and my deliverance, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I fear? We finish that chapter, Psalm 27, by saying, or by uh, the author writing, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. Again, I say, wait on the Lord. We also know that we fear not for you are with you are with us. Uh, there's no reason for us to be fearful or uh, to be worried. God is with us. Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Don't be uh, afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you. And there are many times when we uh, have the sense that we are alone, uh, that there is no one who either cares or there's no one who can help us. Um, but our uh, our trust is in the Lord. And therefore, as we begin our service this evening, our Bible class this evening. We always take a few seconds for uh, spiritual preparation. Our spiritual preparation involves confession of sins and relaxing and preparing for our uh, examining of the text of Scripture. So let's close our eyes, bow our heads, and then I'll open us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this holiday. We're thankful for the uh, determination that our uh, Congress and presidents in past times have determined that we should remember. We should remember those who have served, the served, who have served this nation, and uh, many of them gave their lives. Many of them were injured, uh, and many were um, uh, certainly uh, serving in distant lands, far from their families, far from uh, from their nation. And we're thankful, Father, for those who dedicated themselves to that service. We're thankful for the freedom that they have provided for us, we know that, Father, you have a plan for this nation, and uh, many have served to fulfill that uh, that plan uh, and the purpose. And we're thankful, Father, that we today, on Veterans Day, can remember them and honor them, uh, all those who have served. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Hal, for locating that video. We have another one at the end of uh, our Bible study today. I wanted to um, show this slide. It was sent to me today, and I'm thankful that it was, uh, with respect, honor, and gratitude. Thank you, veterans. Um, I was I'm always uh, thankful um, for the opportunity to remember those uh who have served and I I remember as a child growing up uh, both on the farm there in Iowa and then later in a small town called Morning Sun we always had Veterans Day uh ceremonies we always uh, enjoyed them. Uh, my uh, mother and father both served in World War II, both in the Navy. My mother was a, a Navy nurse. And we had uh, two uncles, Uncle Ben and Uncle Uncle Bob, who also served in World War II. Uncle Ben did not return. But uh, Uncle, Uncle Bob was... Um, Continued in the service, even though he had spent uh, the majority of World War II in a prisoner of war camp in Germany. But uh, he was never um, bitter or uh, angry over his time uh, as a POW. He said that uh, the uh, the strength of the unity of the POWs and there were uh there his where he was located in the uh the POW camp uh there were mostly uh POWs from other nations not from uh, America but uh his uh, his time there and i think it was somewhere in the vicinity of 30 day, uh, 30 months uh he was continually sustained and I know he he said this by par- prayers from his uh, parents and for others that, who knew him uh, he had uh, uh, for a, a certain period of time he had been ill uh, but he survived that uh, he was he received I guess you could say uh, medical care from several of his comrades and uh, but it was always a pleasure to discuss uh, his service and uh, the time that uh, he had spent in World War II and also in the Vietnam War. Uh, across the street from us in Morning Sun was another veteran who had fought in um, uh, the Pacific. And I could go on with uh, many other uh, individuals um, I knew them mostly, of course, as civilians after they returned and got out of the uh, their particular service, whether it was the the marines, uh, later known as the Air Force, the Navy, the Army, uh, and even the coast Guard. so these were um, individuals, both. Uh, men and women as I said my mother was a, a Navy nurse um, something that she always remembered with pride um, but uh, it was always a pleasure to sit and listen to them speak of their times in the service I'm sure some of the, the stories were embellished over the periods of time of, uh, of telling them but that was fine uh, we just heard the uh, sort of a, a, a rundown uh, description of, uh, of Veterans Day. Uh, but it really did begin after World War I, which was known as the Great War. I remember hearing a discussion uh, one time about uh, when... The Great War became World War One, and uh, World War Two began. And as it uh, history seems to report, that the Great War didn't become World War One until well after World War Two was named, and then they realized they had to return and rename. Uh, the Great War, they probably could have kept it the same, but decided to call it um, uh, World War I. But um, I remember many veterans from um, World War Two, from the Korean War, from Vietnam War, and then, of course, Desert Storm and other conflicts that we've had since. So we have freedom today because of those who have served and uh, we should be very thankful for them. Um, Eisenhower General Eisenhower, as you may have uh, you may recall, President Dwight D. Eisenhower, the supreme the former supreme Allied commander of World War II, signed the legislation formally changing the armistice Day to Veterans' Day, and he wrote. Let us solemnly remember the sacrifices of all those who fought so valiantly on the seas, in the air, and on foreign shores to preserve our heritage of freedom and let us reconsecrate ourselves to the task of promoting and enduring peace and freedom so that their efforts shall not have been in vain. And uh, this is, I think, certainly worth remembering and honoring. All right. Tonight we're going to be in Job, and we're beginning chapter 41. Last week and the week prior to that, we... Uh, studied behemoth, and then dinosaurs. I always enjoy studying about dinosaurs, uh, mostly because we don't have them today, or at least to the best of our knowledge. But this week, we're going to start in chapter 41, verse 1, and we are going to encounter another animal, uh, not uh, recorded by Job or the author, but given to us by God, and that's Leviathan. So let me begin with a bit of an introduction uh, about Leviathan. First of all, the, the discussion that we're going to uh, find in chapter 41 because the entire book is about Leviathan. The discussion of the Leviathan is longer than God's comments regarding any other animal, and this is, uh, I think, one of the clues that this is truly an animal. Um, there are many theologians, and I'll read this in a moment, that. Uh, do not believe that Leviathan was truly an animal, that somehow God was describing either a mythological character or he was using Leviathan to describe uh, another person, very often Satan. But the fact, coupled with the vicious nature of Leviathan, an animal that even attacks man we'll see that in verse 8 makes chapter 41 climactic and uh i i enjoy reading other teachers pastors theologians uh their observations and we probably wouldn't come to that conclusion that uh, the last one of the last chapters Uh, chapter 41, is lengthy and it probably is climactic. I like this. This beast has been variously interpreted as the seven-headed sea monster Lotan of Ugaritic mythology. So, there's one. It could be, some believe, a whale. That's a bit far-fetched. The dolphin, a marine dinosaur that survived the flood, but most likely the far, uh, the, uh, the greatest number of theologians believe that it's a crocodile. Uh, Archer, theologian by the name of Archer, suggests that it, is, it was a giant crocodile of the Jordan River, not the Egyptian crocodile, which was considered to be smaller. Uh, he goes on to say that man's attempt to capture this animal, animal, and detailed description of the monster's anatomy, suggests that it was an actual creature, and that's the same uh, for uh, Behemoth. Uh, God is describing, specifically describing, a creature that Job would recognize. And so uh, the monster's anatomy suggests that it was an actual creature. Calling the behemoth and the le- leviathan dinosaurs seems to challenge most theologians. They just have a hard time And I think most of them are influenced by evolutionists who, of course, don't believe that dinosaurs were on the earth um, uh, when man was. It was millions of years later that uh, after dinosaurs became extinct that uh, mankind developed on the earth. And so uh, many theologians... Uh, still have a problem understanding how these two animals could be as fearsome uh, and large as they're described. The identity of Leviathan, basically a transliteration of the Hebrew word for sea monster. And the translation of sea monster is as far as I'm concerned, all but perfect or sea serpent. The traditional view, again, is that it's a crocodile. Um, But what we're going to see, the descriptions that we're going to see, simply do not fit a crocodile. Um, The description of Leviathan begins as a grand, poetic description of a well-known, formidable beast, I agree with that. But by the time the description is complete, and we'll see that as we go beyond um, uh, to to verse 34, um, Leviathan has become a fire-breathing dragon, a powerful symbol, as this uh, uh, author describes it, of chaos, evil, and destruction. Well, I think that's a stretch to say that. Uh, he'll say, this theologian will say, ultimately, Leviathan's image is a portrait of chaos at the beginning of God's creation and of Satan at the consummation of the ages. I'm not of that same uh, opinion. All right, the book of Job Two speeches. We're down here on the second speech, and we are beginning Job 41. Let's begin uh, with the introduction. I've broken chapter 41 into three parts, and the first one is the introduction to Leviathan, and it's going to be verses 1 through 11. Uh, we're not told who this animal is, but we really do not need uh, a definition because we have descriptions, which fits nicely. So God, as we begin in verse one, God once more offers Job an opportunity to demonstrate his knowledge and control of an animal, one that is quite evidently well beyond Job's ability To manage, God uses rhetorical questions to teach Job that God is not to be challenged or confronted with the details of life. Many theologians are not able to comprehend the extraordinary description of Leviathan. Therefore, they push Leviathan into the mythological world. Leviathan is too extreme for them to accept. As being part of God's creation. But it's not a problem for God. All right, let's read our first 11 verses. First 11 verses Can you draw out Leviathan with a hook, or snare his tongue with a line which you lower? Can you put a reed through his nose, or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many supplications to you? Uh, We might say pleadings here to you. Will he speak softly to you? Will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him as a servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you leash him for your maidens? Will your companions make a banquet of him? And that's a, a poor translation Verse 6, will your companions make a banquet of him? Will they apportion him among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Verse 8, lay your hand on him. And I think we could probably begin that with the understanding, can you, can you lay your hand on him? Remember the battle. Never do it again. Uh, If this is uh, a battle, if the Lord is describing this as uh, a vicious conflict, then this has to be real. It's not a mythological character. Verse 9. Indeed, any hope of overcoming him is false. Shall one not be overwhelmed at the sight of him? No one is so fierce that he could dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand against me? And the me here is God. Verse 11, who has preceded me, meaning God the Father, that I should pay him? Uh, Pay him means, we'll see, to reward uh, or to recompense him. All right, verse one, can you draw out, and the Hebrew word here uh, is probably better understood, can you fish uh, uh, Leviathan with a hook? So what uh, God is asking uh, Job is uh, this uh, animal, I'm going to call it an animal, sea monster sea serpent is in the seas in the in the water, and um, job can you fish for him is the idea can you fish for him with a hook or snare his tongue with a line which you lower um, The idea here is that uh, if you were able to hook him, you would be able to possibly bring him to the surface. And then bind uh the mouth of the serpent or the monster. Uh, the verb "draw out" means to extract from the water or to fish and the question here includes the use, of course, this hook, a hook to fish the the creature out of the water, so uh, its jaws can then be securely bound. But we're going to see that that's beyond the capability of mankind. The verb to snare here um, has the sense of to tie or to bind. If the ropes were put around the tongue and jaw, binding tightly would be the sense here. So can you subdue the uh, Leviathan? That's the sense of verse 1. Verse 2, can you put a reed through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Uh, The reed here indicates the material that was twisted or we might say was spun into a cord or a rope. Uh, And I think a better word here, can you put a string through his nose? And the string is not just a thin a cord, but a larger cord. Uh, fishermen, uh, as they catch fish, will string them. They'll put them on a string and then put them back in the water. And I think that's precisely what is being asked here. Can you put a reed? Can you string, put a cord through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Uh, so the idea here, are you going to be able to secure Uh, Leviathan in some way verse verse 3 says will he make supplications to you will he speak softly to you notice we begin now with this these questions we saw one uh, in verse 1 can you draw Leviathan with a hook Uh, can you fish him out can you put a a reed through his nose in verse 2 and then finally here, or not finally, but again in verse 3, will he make supplications to you? Will he speak softly to you? And into all of these rhetorical questions that are being asked, the answer is absolutely not. The line, the first line, the first colon here uh, asks if the animal, when caught and tied and under control, would it keep? Uh, would it beg, would it pray, we might say, uh, beg or ber- beg for mercy? Well, this is not going to happen. It's not in the nature of a beast to ask for mercy. The rhetorical question, again, affirms the opposite. The poem is portraying the creature as powerful and, of course, ferocious, Verse 4, will he make a covenant with you, namely, that you will take him as a servant forever. You know, there are some animals, even wild animals, that can be subdued. But God is saying here, by asking the question, that that's not going to happen with Leviathan. God asks Job... Can you subdue this uncontrollable animal? Can you control him so that the animal submits? Uh, and the translation I have in my New King James Version is so that he'll submit to a covenant, or oh, I think a better way, who will comply to you, Job? And will Leviathan serve Job after being controlled? Well true. Truly wild animals, even after being caught and controlled, will not lose their wild nature, but they will continue to seek their freedom. Therefore, the answer here to this question is no. Will you take him as a servant forever? And the answer is no. There are some animals, uh, elephants, um, uh, uh, water bulls, That can be controlled and used, serve a master. But the Lord says it's not going to happen in this case. So the Lord continues to confront Job with a series of rhetorical questions. And Job's answers, although not verbal, not audible, are going to be no. Verse 5, will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you leash him for your maidens? And the answer here is no, no way that that's going to occur. Another translation, this happens to be the new in uh, New International Version, says, "Can you make a pet of it like a bird, or put it on a leash for the young men for the young women in your house?" Uh, very often in the ancient world. There would be many wild animals that would be subdued, uh, made into pets, um, and uh, they were considered to be a a trophy that they could lead around. And that's the question here. But in verse 5, this is not a wild beast. It's not only a wild beast, but also a dreaded monster that cannot be considered for a pet. The point that God is making is that God created Leviathan. God knows the uh, fierce, uh, fierce nature of Leviathan. Can humans control him? God can control him. But not humans. Verse 6. Will your companions, uh, there's another word there for the translation there could be partners. Could your companions or partners make a, a banquet for him? And banquet is probably an interpretation here, but a better word is probably will they barter for him? If they catch him, if they subdue him, even if they kill him, will they barter amongst themselves? Will they apportion? Will they divide him among the merchants? Um, Companions or partners in this context are fishermen. Uh, Another translation, will the traders bargain over him after he's been um, caught and killed? Well, they divide him among the, the merchants. And so the word companions here comes from the uh, Hebrew word to associate. And therefore, it means to join together. The idea is that fishermen usually work in companies or groups and then divide up the catch when they come ashore. Uh, and that was very often true. We would see uh, in the... Uh, the Lake of Galilee, uh, the disciples would go out in several boats and they would work together as a team. The verb means to cut up or to divide uh, a portion. And in the, it has the sense of selling the body, that which has been caught. And therefore, it will be between them and the merchants. So the fishermen, those who caught him, cut it up and bargain with the merchants. Verse 7. And again, uh, verse 6, the answer is no. That's not going to happen. This is an animal that will not be brought to shore. Verse 7. Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? God wants to know. If encountering or hunting Leviathan, could Job kill it with harmo- uh, uh, harpoons or spears? And th- the answer is no, could not be done. It appears that Leviathan is so fierce and so powerful that it is not considered game. Uh, they would never try to uh, hunt it. Now, that probably leaves... uh uh, remove whales and porpoise from the list of who this could be because those animals were hunted and used for food uh, or uh, blubber used for oil. Verse 8 Lay your hand on him, remember the battle, never do it again. Uh, I said, uh can you lay your hand on him uh, if you do remember the the battle uh the new english uh translation translates this uh passage this way if you lay your hand on it you will remember the fight and you will never do it again i like that uh in effect god challenges job or anyone else to try to seize Leviathan by capturing him. The contest will be so furious and intense that it will never be forgotten. Those involved will never try it again. Verse 9. Indeed, any hope of overcoming him is false. Shall one not be overwhelmed at the sight of him? Uh, They're not going to try to capture him kill him because just the sight of him is overwhelming the point is that the man who thought he was sufficient to confront leviathan soon finds his hope his expectations to be false verse 10 verse 10 says no one is fear uh, is so fierce that he would dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand against me? The description here that we have of this animal, not the hunter or fisherman, so there's no one so uh, brave, so courageous, so fierce, that he would try to hunt Leviathan. So uh, God says that if you know Uh, if you know about uh, uh, Leviathan, you will steer clear of him and certainly will not arouse him. And if God created this devastating monster, then who can confront the monster's creator? Uh, That is one of the points that God makes throughout his speeches. And that is, if you're unable to create, control, uh defeat uh, the uh the animal, then how will you confront the creator? When the Lord says no one should be so foolish as to arouse Leviathan, he is replying to God's desire, to Job's desire that this monster be aroused and Job mentions Leviathan in chapter 3, verse 8. So in effect, the Lord questions Job. What would you do, Job, if you were provoked? Verse 11. Who has preceded me that I should pay him? Everything under the heavens, under the heaven is mine. Um, what the text is saying is that it's more dangerous to confront God than to confront this animal. Uh, the word here for uh, precede has the sense to confront. Who has confronted me? Uh, in other words, the idea here is um, who has uh, created such a condition that I should repay him, that I should... Uh, provide for him some sort of recompense. Uh, everything under heaven is mine. I do not repay you. I don't pay you for anything. I already own everything. I don't need to make restitution for something lost or something stolen. Um, let me give you a summary here. The summary for verses 1 through 11. First of all, a fish hook, uh, a rope, a reed, a cord, a hook are inadequate to capture so fierce an animal. And we read that in verses 1 and 2. Leviathan is the description here and what we'll continue to read as we proceed in verse 12 and following, uh, the animal is so fierce that it cannot be even confronted. Secondly, it's not so easily tamed that it would, like a human, plead to be released or agree to be tamed and used as a pet. Uh, I think God uses a bit of sarcasm there when he says... Uh, could you tame him? Could you... Uh, uh, would it beg for uh, mercy? And the answer, of course, is no. Third, merchants cannot sell it since it is seldom, uh, seldom captured and possibly not only seldom but even more so, either rare or hardly ever. Four... Large fishing equipment such as harpoons and spears and even hand combat are useless. We saw that in verses 7 and verse 8. Point five, since people are afraid at even the sight of this sea monster, no one would dare arouse it. Uh, You know, God is describing this sea monster and you may remember there were uh, stories of sea monsters that would uh, uh, overwhelm ships. And, of course, uh, many people believe that those are just stories, that those are uh, uh, maybe almost mythological. Uh, mythological. But uh, this sea monster is so uh, dangerous, no one should arouse it. And we wrote, we read that in verses 9 and 10. Verse 6, or excuse me, point 6. God then used this fierce sea monster to illustrate man's inability to oppose God, to stand against God. God creates this animal. God can control this animal, but man cannot. And therefore, uh, if Uh, mankind cannot, uh, face, stand against, uh, something that God created. How would he ever, how would they ever stand against the Creator? Uh, point seven. If Job panicked at seeing this sea monster, how did he dare confront the sea monster's maker, telling him that God had not been just to him, and then finally, in point eight, if the beast's power exceeded job's strength, certainly job would be impotent before God all right um what I'd like to do uh in just a few minutes here because I want to uh we're going to play the uh last uh, video again about. Uh, Veterans Day, but let me read just a little bit from uh an article that was written, again, by Simon Turpin, and he happens to write for Answers in Genesis, and you'll notice that the date here is August eighth, 2020, so this is fairly current. He says... In a in a previous article, in a previous article, I addressed God's challenge to Job to see if he could control the great and powerful creature Behemoth. God did this because Job, in his great suffering, frequently asked to be allowed to have a trial with God, and had called into question God's justice. In Job 41, God continues to challenge Job by getting him to consider his inability to control another giant animal, the terrifying Leviathan. And he quotes Job 40, verse 1. Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? God challenges Job by questioning his ability to capture Leviathan and make it his servant. Leviathan is not a creature that little children can use for a play, a play toy, and is too large for traders to sell. God reminds Job that he is even thinking of capturing... Um, God reminds Job that if... He is even thinking of capturing Leviathan with harpoons or fishing spears. Then he needs to consider the battle that will take place. If Job does not engage in battle with Leviathan, it will be the first and only time he does... If Job does uh, engage in battle with Leviathan, it will be the first and only time he does battle with this mighty creature. Leviathan cannot be subdued by any man. This is a false hope. As he is laid low even at the sight of him. We saw that in verse 9. In other words, Leviathan is a creature who brings fear into the hearts of man. Whereas he is afraid of no one. We'll see that in verse 33. This brings God to state the most important of. Uh, Uh, point no one is so fierce that he dares to arouse him who then is he who can stand before him if God is not if Job is not brave enough to do battle with Leviathan then how can he even begin to argue with God no one can judge God his judgments are unsearchable and by the way they're not only unsearchable uh, many of them are inscrutable. We simply don't understand them. But what is this creature, Leviathan? The, identifi- the identification of Le- Leviathan, like Behemoth, is widely disputed among biblical scholars, as can be seen by its varied, various interpretations. First of all, a mythical creature Secondly, a real earthly creature, probably one that's still alive today, like, for instance, a crocodile, right? Third, <clears throat> an earthly creature who also represents a spiritual force. So uh, God is describing some sort of a unseen, invisible force is what this third Uh, point is describing. Fourth, another option that is generally not considered by scholars is that Leviathan was a real creature, but now is extinct. In order to correctly identify Leviathan, it is necessary not only to pay close attention to all the details in the text about him. But also to keep in mind our suppositions about the history of the world as this will impact our interpretations. Uh, that's the start of this passage of this article, and I'll continue next week. But uh, one of the problems that we have, and he describes it here, is the presuppositions about history that so many scientists, theologians, uh professors have and that is that first of all God is not the creator secondly that most of what we read in the Bible cannot be taken literally and then of course finally uh, there, the evolutionists and uh, the, those who believe in uh, the secular world uh, what is being taught worldview, um, they uh, have absolutely no interest in trying to con- uh, to determine who this is. They'll just simply say that it either didn't exist or if it did exist, it was millions and millions of years ago. So what I'd like to do is turn this back over to our video and celebrate Veterans Day. As we close, Uh, for those of you who were uh, would like to find this uh, article that I was reading, I'll continue it at the beginning of next uh, next Bible class. But the title of it is drawing, 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 D-R-A-W-I-N-G, drawing out the biblical Leviathan, drawing out the biblical Leviathan. Leviathan. It's by Simon Turpin, written on August the 8th, 2020, and he is an author for Answers in Genesis. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for uh, this opportunity to study the Word of God. We're thankful for these individuals, these scholars like Simon Turpin who have worked tirelessly to try to provide uh, accurate answers to literal passages of scripture we're thankful for your your guidance your correction of job and' we're, we pray father that not only did job learn but we need to learn from your uh, your admonishment of him. We're thankful, Father, for this holiday, Veterans Day. We're thankful for those who have served. We're thankful for the freedom that we have, and we know that freedom is not free. It comes at a price. We pray, Father, that we would not lose our freedom, but we would, in fact, regain much of the freedom that we've lost, over the past 50 to 60 years. We pray, Father, for our nation today and tomorrow and days that follow. We pray, Father, that this past election, which is ongoing, would be done legally. We believe that everyone should have an opportunity to vote, but it must be a legal vote we pray father that those will be counted and those will have will provide for us the truth of the results of that uh, that election we ask for your blessing upon those who are still going through some difficult times uh, those who are friends who may be uh, in being involved in surgery we know uh, as we look at our prayer list one of them is uh, Debbie Graham. We pray, Father, for her surgery tomorrow. We ask for her, uh, her peace. And also we ask for the skill of the surgeons. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.